Hello, and welcome to Bottom Line. I'm Cindy Keynes. We have a very exciting and informative show for you today. We're going to be talking about communications and presentation skills. And I'd like to welcome back a special guest of mine. Um, he is a communications consultant and has done so many presentations and keynote speaker uh, uh, opportunities that I'm so excited to have him here with us today to help us talk about communication and presentation skills. So, Michael Angelo Caruso, welcome back to Bottom Line. Hey, Cindy, it's great to be back. Thank you. So we'll start with communication. And from your point of view, how would you say if we say what is what is considered communication? Well, I think communication is any exchange between people. Uh, it can happen in so many different modalities now. Uh, I think the biggest challenge perhaps these days is the speed of that communication. So because it's happening so quickly, we don't formally recognize it sometimes as an official bit of exchange. Um, back in the old days, Cindy, if somebody came over your house for a bit of communication, you'd, you'd not only let them in, you'd serve them something to eat, something to drink. And now when people come over our house, we hide, we don't want them to know we're home. So it's changed a bit uh, about how we think about communication. If we start talking about maybe some forms of communications, I know um, the challenging part of things these days is we have a lot of technology out there um, at our fingertips. We have computers, you know, cell phones um, where we can text and, and communicate. Um, do you, and also as we talk through some of these, I think, Michael, the other thing I want to maybe talk about is maybe if there's some generational uh, challenges or, or opportunities where one generation might like one of the communication modalities more than one of the others. Um, but maybe we can talk a little bit about texting and the use of texting in communications. Um, sure. Maybe we can touch upon the personal side first before we maybe discuss a little bit of what happens in the workplace. Sure. Texting, I think, is super appealing, Cindy, because uh, it appeals to something that all of us hold near and dear these days, which is instant gratification. There's something about that instant ping. The dopamine effect uh, has been well documented with regard to Facebook being liked, being acknowledged, being um, recognized. And texting is a fantastic way to get that quick ping from somebody if you need it. Of course, the problem with texting is the there's very little context sometimes. You lose the nuance, you lose uh, tone, and sometimes humor is misinterpreted in text. So while it has that kind of immediacy and a quickness of delivery that's appealing, it's lacking the depth and the breadth of real communication. I know often when I'm sending some sort of official communication to, uh, to a peer or a colleague, colleague I'll opt out of text into email so I have some sort of a, a, a paper trail for it. It is true that a lot of your texts are documented for a period of time, but if you ever clear your phone or decide to, do, you know, to clear those texts, you won't have an official record of it. So it's more of an informal, as most people know, and most people use it, an informal, quick grab it kind of a thing. Um, right. And, and you would know, you say... Would, yes? Yeah, I would say, and Michael, what... What do you think about, um, is there anything, a couple things come to mind. One is the use of all caps. Is that still kind of the universal, hey, why are you shouting at me? Yeah. Um, and the other one is, do you think we use a little too much exclamation or smiley face or, you know, what? where is it going a little bit overboard? Well, you know, again, it's a stimulant, uh, it's a stimulation type of an effect. Um, I was joking with someone the other day that you can add 
stickers to your LinkedIn messages. And I'm like, your LinkedIn posts. And, I, and I'm like, you know, if your LinkedIn post is any good, you shouldn't need a sticker, man. Right. But we love the emoticons. We love the smiley face. Uh, I was scrolling through the emoticons in my phone. It, the, the, the selection is endless, Cindy. It's amazing. I mean, I could put a purple dragon in my text if I want to. Uh, and I haven't wanted to yet in all this time. Can you imagine that? In writing, they say that if uh, you're going to use an exclamation mark, and there are people, the purists say, you might never need an exclamation mark if you have a good enough vocabulary, but you would certainly never need two. And that's the rule of thumb. Uh, that doesn't keep people from wanting to express themselves or be super excited about something, which is three exclamation marks. You know, We don't want to micromanage this too much, but I do think uh, there's a numbing effect if you're always using exclamation marks, if you're always using caps, it can, it, can, it can backfire on you because now that's how you always communicate. We know of a very public person who communicates in capital letters all the time. And uh, after a while, you just get used to it. It's just this MO. Right. And if we talk about, you know, I think a little bit, you know, everything's a little more lax and easier when you're texting, possibly, you know, between your friends and so on. Sure. What are some things, maybe do's or don'ts, that when you're texting in a work environment, you might want to be cautious of when you choose to use texting? Well, one easy no-no in the work environment are audible texts where it's pinging all the time and there are people in adjacent cubes or whatever. Um, you know, I have the decency to put it on vibrate. You're still going to get the message. You're holding the phone. I mean, it's not like you're not going to be aware that someone retexted re you. That's one. Uh, a second, and this is more prevalent, I think, with younger people, perhaps because their brains just operate faster. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but younger people tend to text you a sentence and then uh, and then send another sentence and then send another sentence, whereas older people might uh, glom a, a few of those sentences together as a complete thought arc. And now you're going to get a, a more digestible chunk of text from those types of folks. I don't know that either is right or wrong, but I do notice my younger friends tend, tend to send me their information in smaller bits. What, what, what's your feelings on if you go back and forth and let's say someone answers a question that you have and so forth. I know I personally, sometimes I always feel like I need to say thank you at the end or something to, to close out the loop of texts and that is, is yeah. it really still appropriate or, you know, otherwise I feel like, uh, the person says, okay, they've got it, but you know, so I always curious if that, that's still an okay thing. To well, do. I want to personally thank you for doing that because that's one of the ghosts right in the machine with texting is that people will leave the conversation because they've something else has gotten their attention, but you would never know that because they never actually signed off. And maybe you had posed an, a question. Maybe it was an important, timely question and you're still waiting for the response, you know, and they've gone to get their haircut because it was time yep. and you wouldn't have known that. And later they might say, well, sorry, I went to go get a haircut. So I think it is a good habit to always sign off. Thank you is a, a, a way of doing that. Uh, I'm signing off now is another way of doing that. There are all kinds of ways to say, I'll chat with you later. The uh, acronym uh, TTYL, right? Talk to you later is something that we see a lot. So any kind of sign off to let the people know that you're not with them anymore is a good idea. By the way, conference calls are a similar problem. There might be eight or 10 or 80 or a thousand people on a call, you know, 
And if it's a call where you're actively participating, you should probably say hello to everybody when you get on the call and you should probably say goodbye. I have to leave early. Right. And would you say, um, so one last thing I wanted to kind of address kind of with texting, at least in the work environment, is the use of TTYL, talk to you later, or thanks, maybe THX. Um, are there, but sometimes it seems, you know, that some of the acronyms are being used that maybe they shouldn't be. So are there some cautions of using certain acronyms in the work environment when you're texting? Well, some of them are edgy, you know, uh, LMAO is laugh my ass off, which some people might consider to be, uh, I don't know if it's rude, but it's maybe a little bit less courteous and less formal. That's the thing about today's society, Cindy. I mean. I'm old enough to remember when Casual Friday was invented. Perhaps you are too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and, you know, that was the only day that you could dress casual. But now we live in a world where every day is Casual Friday. So these acronyms and these, this loosening of the language and loosening of protocol and rules and even etiquette is just something that we have to live with. So I never come on like a purist that I'm, I'm, I'm upset that times are changing and, you know, get off my lawn. I don't think that's the right approach to this. I think we need to kind of roll with the punches. And uh, uh, while I do appreciate the standard bearers who are out there who are uh, suggesting maybe you should sign off if you're leaving a text stream. What, what do you think as we look into, let's say, the world of emails, mm -hmm. is there times as we kind of transition from talking about texting to emails, is there times when a text might be more appropriate than using an email? Yeah, I think if the text is... Uh, or the email is the subject matter is involved and maybe you need to cover multiple points. You should probably do it in an email. Having said that, as a person who travels for a living as a keynote speaker, if I'm, if I'm on a shuttle bus and I need to get back to somebody, or maybe I'm waiting at the airport, but I don't want to boot up my computer. I might do one of those longer, more involved texts. It's not my favorite way to go. I'd rather, and of course you could do that email through your phone, a little bit harder on the tiny screen and a lot of thumbing, right, to get through that. But I think that the more sophisticated multi-point messages are better delivered in email and um, and save the, the abbreviated, the pings, P-I-N-G, which is an IT term. Uh, the, the, the IT person would send a ping from one computer to another to make sure that the other computers receive the signal. That's essentially what we're doing with a lot of these texts. I'm going to be five minutes late. Okay, no problem. I think that's a, a better uh, use of texting versus email. And if we maybe talk a little bit about email as a communications, um, maybe we can talk a little bit about that in the workplace. Um, is there a certain way that someone should structure an email to kind of get their point across? Because I know many times emails, they can be forwarded forwarded, forwarded, and you're not sure, and someone will say, please see below, and below is a lot of other things going on yeah. that you're trying to pick through to see maybe why. Um, are there some suggestions you might have for someone on how to like get your point across at the very beginning, and then maybe there's supportive material below? Sure, let's do a couple. The first one is that the email subject line, Cindy, should be a microcosm of what's happening in the body of the email. So if there's a bunch of stuff happening on Friday because you have a product rollout, the email subject line probably shouldn't say Friday. It should be a little bit more explanatory so people know what they can get when they open up that email. Don't forget people are deciding when and if to open your email. 
based on that subject line. So the more descriptive the subject line and the more reflective of what's in the body of the message, it, it, it's a little preview of coming attractions for anybody that's deciding how to prioritize your email. I think another thing that we can do in at least long email chains is actually uh, take the liberty to change the subject line. As you mentioned, five, six, eight iterations into that email thread, the subject line, the original subject line has nothing to do with what we're talking about anymore. So I've changed that subject line. Sometimes people will say to me, how dare you change my subject line, you know? Uh, but I've never had any real legitimate complaints about it because the topic is now moved on. And if you wanted to search that original subject line, it's still in your email uh, record, right? So uh, those two things, I think watch the, watch the email subject line to make sure it's a uh, microcosm of what's happening in the body and then change those subject lines as the email chain gets longer. I, as you know, and I, you know, from personal experience, as, as you get uh, emails that have been forwarded multiple times, a lot of times they have that FWD multiple times across the subject line. So I think it's a great reminder, like you said, to revisit what's on that subject line to really draw the attention of the person who um, is receiving that. As well as you mentioned too, many times you can get your email on your phone. So even then it's even more crucial maybe to get to the point yeah. um, because you know it's a lot harder, at least uh, for some of us to be able to read some of the things that you have on your phone. Even and how about this, how about, how about uh, sorry for interrupting, I'm excited. Uh, how about this, how about, how about ending that email chain rather than clicking reply again, because you're going to go to a different topic opening up a new email with a different subject line, that offers a lot of clarity to the person. And now we've, okay, we've changed gears. We're into something else. If you stay with the email chain the whole time, it can go on for years. <laughs> that's a <laughs> lot of forwarding, right? And, you know, that's a, a perfect thing that you bring up, uh, uh, not just the forwarding. What is the kind of etiquette and way to do uh, the copying people, the CC, and then there's even the BCC, uh, which is a little more private. But um, what happens when someone is copying the world on an email that you receive? There is a way to get around that. It's going to take a little discipline and conditioning on your part, uh, especially if you're, uh, and this can be done if you're in a group that's going to be communicating for a, a project. Let's say there's a campaign going on, a six-month campaign. You send a few emails right at the top that say, listen, I'm going to send everybody this message, but I only want you to reply to me. Because we get a lot of people, uh, they're called vanity emails, you know, where I'm going to reply to everybody because I want everybody to know that I replied. Only Michael wanted to hear from me, but I want everybody to know I replied quickly. So there's no need for that. It's kind of a vanity thing. And if you're the originator of the email, you can condition people to just reply to me if that's the case. Let's not burden everybody with endless CCs about this. It's just the very definition of a CC, as you know, Cindy, is that they don't need to reply to the message. They're just monitoring. The challenge with BCCs, of course, is much different. When you BCC somebody, you're doing it in confidence that they will not reply because the other person doesn't know that they were BCC'd. I do this sometimes if I need to have a third party, uh, say a, a big boss looking at this thing. I say, look, I'm just gonna send this to you so you can monitor the situation, but I don't want you to reply to it because if you do, it will betray my confidence with the other people. BCC should be used very sparingly and only with people that are safe. You never want anybody to take advantage of that BCC situation. 
And I'm glad you brought that up because to me, that's extremely important as well, not to overuse that. And also when you do use it, that that person understands why, because like you said, you know, we get a ton of emails, so it's easy to say reply all, and you don't realize that you might've been a BCC, <laughs> not yeah, just a carbon quickly. copy. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, what other form of communications, and sometimes it's a little bit more in the work environment, but it's also in a private environment might be as well, is instant messaging. And can you want to, is there some do's and don'ts on instant messaging? Because I know at times there's certain things you can do where you can see that someone's in instant messaging you. Otherwise, it's just this block at the bottom of the computer that might light up that you see or don't see. Um, and, and, and you can really lose, lose uh, at least I know from all of the instant messages, you can lose it in, in um, so many of them. So maybe there's some pointers that you have for the people to use. Well, you can't stop people from sending you email. You can't stop people from instant messaging. So the, the deal is that they message you when it's convenient for them, not necessarily when it's convenient for you. So you're in the middle of writing war and peace and the instant messages keep popping up. Um, I do think if, if they're your friends, uh, you can condition them. Uh, there's an old saying that we teach people how to treat us. If you constantly reply to instant messages as they come across, you're actually teaching people that you'll always reply ASAP. Hmm. I have not taught my friends that. <laughs> so I, note to self. <laughs> note to I, self. I reply <laughs> if I can, and if it's a it's a timing thing. Uh, but I don't burden myself with constantly answering people's messages like that. Uh, I may have a short term relationship with somebody, say say a relative's in the hospital, and the turnaround's going to be very quick on this because we've agreed that that's how it's going to be. But in general, I don't have that relationship. Now, I know a lot of people in the work world have bosses who um, either micromanage or expect that type of instant uh, delivery. That's after all why work gave you a pager in the early days so that they could find you any time of the day or night. And then later, the trick was, uh, we're going to give you a cell phone. You're going to give me a cell phone. How grateful am I? And that, of course, was the, that's when they got the, hand, the handcuffs on you and they never let go. So I do think that there's a chance to temper these, the timing of the responses and the burden of having to respond. And we, by the way, we've only been talking about nine to five. What if, they, what if the instant message comes across or the text comes across at 10.05 at night? Are you obligated to answer? This is a relationship that you need to set up with the people in your life so that they understand and, and can manage their expectations about you. Well, and that's a great point because, you know, uh, through some personal experience, I have got received them overnight. Um, not that I've seen them, but they're there the next morning. And when I look, I look at what time because I'm like, gosh, I thought I kind of cleared this all out. <laughs> and you find <laughs> out that it was something where somebody said, hey, I left it for you last night. I figured once you get in, you can see it. But again, you can get so many that it can get lost. So um, yeah, but I, I, I really like your uh, suggestion there that um, you are conditioning individuals and people to know that you're immediately answering them all the time. Now, again, as you said, you know, maybe it's your boss and, and that's a person you should be responding right. to. Quickly. Um, but again, I think that's a great thing that to make sure that everybody else can always assume it's going to be an instant response for that. This so. is the, yeah. And this is the mirror uh, image of what we talked about earlier, your, your um, great practice of signing off from a text message. So when I see something that came in overnight or, or something that's been lingering longer than I wanted it to linger, I'll tell the person, I'm sorry, I'm just seeing this now. 
right? So I, here I am entering the, the conversation versus le exiting the conversation. I'm just getting to this now. And by the way, uh, the, the implication is, and I, sometimes I'll apologize, often I'll apologize, I don't care whose fault it is, but I'm not admitting blame that I'm seeing your message now because you sent it to me at 10.05 last night. I think there's Excellent. a little bit of a power exchange that happens there, you know, sometimes, especially if it's, you know, work and there's an org chart involved. Ex yes, exactly. Um, if we're going to talk a little bit about communication, the one thing I don't want to lose sight of sometimes is using tools um, as I'm going to use Zoom as an example, that kind of uh, a tool where maybe you have multiple people. And of course, you know, if it's working from home or people working from different locations, um, is there any kind of uh, do's and don'ts with Zoom as it relates to communications and even maybe presenting um, material that you're trying to get across, especially if you're the organizer of that meeting? Yeah, so many thoughts about Zoom. Uh, you know, I say that if uh, two good things happened during COVID, one is that we all learned how to use Zoom, and the other is we learned how to use QR codes, and both are still with us. Zoom is interesting now because it's it's so omnipresent. Everybody's using it, or some you know some form of Zoom. Maybe it's a different brand, but it's the same video type of provider. Uh, I always tell people uh, because I'm a presentation coach, and I I, I teach people how to. Uh, you know, level up their presentation skills. I always tell them that everybody thinks it's easier to present on Zoom than it is in person. It's actually harder. And one of the reasons I can demonstrate for you right now is I'm Italian, Cindy, so I like to talk with my hands. But it's an effort to get my hands way up here on a Zoom call. You almost never hear hand, uh, see hands on a Zoom call. So uh, half of your body language, or even more than half, if you believe that the body language experts that we communicate so much through our gestures and, you know, nonverbal cues, that's all missing when you go to Zoom because we're just talking to a computer screen. Why do I need to animate my face when I'm talking on Zoom? And so I learned really early on during the COVID era that to, to show your teeth, it's called a 10 tooth smile, six teeth on top and four on the bottom. You got... You got it going. Got to count them. <laughs> and because all of presentation, all, all presentations are a form of acting. I might not be feeling the best today. I'm feeling fine. Thank you. But if I wasn't, you know, you wouldn't know it because I'm putting on a little show for you right now. I'm, I'm doing an interview for bottom line, man. I want to do a good job. So I'll animate my face. Uh, another little trick that you can use on Zoom if you want to seem more lifelike is to raise your eyebrows a bit because when you raise your eyebrows, your, your whole face opens up, you know, it's uh, if you watch, you know, like I can, and there are people who are really good at this. The rock can do one eyebrow. I've never been able to master that. But that idea of your eyebrows coming up, your mouth opening up a little bit, a gesture once in a while on the, on the, on the uh, zoom call um, and little things, it's called congruency. When you marry your verbal to your nonverbal. So I might say, uh, Cindy, there are three things we want to cover on the zoom call today. But I could also say it this way, Cindy, there are three things we want to cover on the Zoom call today. And there's something about showing the number three that's more memorable or impressive or polished, right? But you'll always do better to marry your verbal signals to your nonverbal signals. And I think, like you said, is uh, when you use your fingers and you show three, it did. It, it registered more, maybe because it's in addition to verbal, it's visual. 
you know, and you're hearing someone, but you're also seeing something at the same time versus somebody's, you know, face in that. And, and that's a good point. Like you said, when you're using video conferencing and you're presenting, you're looking into the screen. Um, if you're not sure how your uh, people are, are viewing you because you're speaking normally and they may be on mute. Is there a check-in point or something, you know, you as the speaker and the organizer can do to, to kind of do it a stop for a moment and check in? Well, one favorite uh, technique that I have as a moderator on Zoom, if I'm running the call, is the shout out. Um, you know, it's not hard to find people's screen names on Zoom. So if I haven't heard from Debbie for a while, and I don't want anybody to drift. It's an important call. That's why you're on the call. So I'll say, Debbie, you've been quiet for a while. Why do you think, what do you think about this point that, that Tom just made? So I'll pull people into the conversation by actually mentioning them by their name. There's an old saying that everyone's favorite word is their first name. So I'm going to use Debbie's favorite word. And if she was drifting, she pops right out of it, right? <laughs> And there is also a, a cognitive bias that says when everybody else hears me call Debbie, they think they might be next. So everybody kind of pulls back to center when you use that first name. Another thing that I do if I'm not the moderator, Cindy, to stay involved with the call and reinforce people, because there's only room for one person to talk on Zoom, is I'll use the emoticons in the system tray of Zoom if someone makes a good point, I'll give them a thumbs up. There's a way to, you can applaud somebody that's done something. It's an emoticon. And that way they're seeing a sign of life from me once in a while. So I like it when we get done with the call, whether I'm leading the call or not, if someone would say uh, to anybody that was on the call, you know, Michael Caruso seems like he's listening all the time. He's fairly, he's, he's always participating. I love that kind of thing. And I love it in my participants as well. Right. No, and like you said, it keeps everybody engaged um, and keeps them on their toe. I will say if you start, <laughs> you know, pulling folks up by there, it will uh, definitely alert everyone to be ready, which is, is really a, a very good thing to do. Um, you know, in the last few minutes here, we've talked a little bit about, you know, present presenting, you know, and how it's challenging more, you know, on video conference type uh, platform. What about in person? How would you uh, change your approach when someone is presenting possibly in the conference room or, uh, you know, in a setting out in a hotel, you know, con uh, room, so to speak, you know, at a conference? Sure. I think the only reason we really communicate with people is to establish a relationship. Even if you're just trying to get some customer service satisfaction at a at a counter or a help desk somewhere, uh, the best way to get that satisfaction is to, to get connected to that customer service rep as quickly as possible. Well, one thing that you can do in a physical setting is you can, you can see somebody at the coffee bar and chat them up a little bit. You can go around the room and introduce yourself and let people get used to your rhythm and, and some, gain some type of knowledge about you. It's not always possible on Zoom because even in the green room on Zoom, before they press record, only one person can talk at a time. So I always get to events early and I use that time very carefully. Um, this is something that uh, sometimes people will push back against. I'll say that if you're in a room, not everybody has the same value to you. It's politically incorrect to say that, but it's statistically true. There are people in the room that are gonna be making decisions Maybe about me. Maybe I'm auditioning for a, 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 some sort of sales training program. So I try to get to the people that will be making that decision about me before I talk to the people who are brand new to the process. 
So you can, when you get to that room, you not only visit with as many people as you can, but I would prioritize who I spend that quality time with. Of course, you can do the same thing after the presentation is over in a physical setting. And like you said, and even if it's uh, in a conference room area or something, maybe you're not in a hotel or so on, you could probably still get to the room earlier. That way, as people enter in, you might have that opportunity to speak to them, you know, one-on-one or just with a few people that might be, you know, uh, in the area at the time. So as we um, come to the end of the show here, I have to ask you, what is your, is there any big pet peeve of yours, or if there's anything you could say to somebody watching saying, whatever you do, please don't do this, or whatever you do, please do this. Yeah, man, you should ask that question at the top, because I got a long (laughs) list of pet peeves. (laughs) Let's see, my favorite pet peeve. Well, uh, eye contact's a big one these days. You know, we've we've stopped um, practicing what's called sustained eye contact, which is this idea of hanging in there with a few people, uh, with people a few se- uh, seconds longer than you might otherwise do so. Certainly longer than other people do so. Uh, there's no other way to show people that you respect them and you care about them than to maintain that eye contact. Now on Zoom, I have a chance to look at three things right now. I have a chance to look at your image, Cindy, watch my eyes, which is down here. I can look at my image, which is over here, or I can look into your eyes which is up here. And that's the lens of the camera right there. And if I can get, I can't show you here, there it is. If I can get to the lens of the camera, so I've been looking at this green dot the entire time because I wanna look into your viewer's eyes as they watch it, right? Because if I'm looking over here, uh, it seems like I'm not connected to uh, to the interview somehow, even though I am. So this idea of eye contact, sustained eye contact, very, very important even in short exchanges with people. Well, thank you, Michael, so much for your time and expertise. And uh, I'm sure all the people you've worked with and and consulted with are very grateful for having your help and assistance, because I know you gave us a lot of tremendous amount of information to help us in a lot of the communications that we do personally and, and also professionally. So again, thank you so much for being back on Bottom Line. My pleasure. Anytime, Cindy. And I'd like to thank our audience for watching. I hope you found all this information helpful and informational. And thanks again for joining us. I wish you the best of the days. And again, I'm Cindy Keynes.